Uh, I walked in this morning and somebody asked me if I was a visitor because it has been just a little while since I've been here. In fact, it's been almost a month. Uh, Someone asked me last week, they said, you haven't preached for a while. And I said, well, you know, we've had some things go on. And they said, are you looking for another church? And I said, you cannot get rid of me that easily. But I am so glad to be back. I have longed to be here, to have an opportunity to share the gospel with you. I feel a little bit like Jeremiah does in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9. He says, the word of God is in me like a fire in my bones. I can't contain it. I have to let it out. And so don't set your stopwatch. Okay, just stop. Don't look at the time because I've got to make up for some lost time this morning. Well, talk about longing for certain things. It reminds me of the old preacher story that some of you may have heard about this pious man who made a deal with God. He was a very righteous man and he loved the Lord and God showed favor upon him and he was so audacious that one night late in his life he prayed to God. He says, God, I have been faithful to you and if you would grant me this one wish, all I want is to take something to heaven with me. And so God grants him that wish. And he begins thinking about what he might take. Well, he was not only very good with his spirituality, he also was really good with his finances. So as he got older and knew that it was almost time to go, he cashed out all of his stocks, he sold his house, and he bought all these beautiful, huge gold bars. And he placed them in a bag and prepared to die. And he died and he grabbed that bag with him and he took it to heaven as he floated away and he made it to the gates. And as he was going to enter in, he was stopped by Peter because Peter, of course, is always at the gates. And Peter says, are you ready to come in? And he says, yes. But Peter says, you can't bring that in with you. And the man says, no, no, you don't understand. I have a deal with God. God said that I could bring something with me, and this is what I wanted to bring. And and Peter said, okay, if, if God says it's okay, then who am I to argue? That's kind of a joke, because Peter always argued with Jesus. Never mind, that was part of the joke. So he says, okay, I'll let you in, but I'm just, I'm itching, I'm so curious to know, what did you bring? And the man was gleaming and he was so proud and he opened up his bag and he pulled out one of several of these big, beautiful gold blocks. And Peter looked at him and said, what? You mean you could bring anything here and you chose concrete? (laughs) Well, I don't know if the streets are paved with gold, but that's one of the ideas that we have of heaven. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what heaven is really like, what it is and what it isn't. I think many of us have formed in our mind an idea of what heaven may be like. It's based somewhat on our experiences, somewhat on the experiences and and, uh, writings of other people, and it's also based on our own desires. You ask a little kid what heaven is like, and they're going to say it's pizza and video games. 
You ask an older person what it's like, and they're going to tell you it might be their favorite lazy boy. Everybody has this idea of what heaven is like. In fact, it's become a pretty popular topic as of late. You go to a bookstore and you're going to find book after book after book of what heaven is really like. It starts back ten years ago when the famous Shack book came out and people talked about what is heaven really like and what is God like. And more recently, we have the book written by an account of a young boy, Heaven is for Real. But this morning, I want to challenge you to consider your view of heaven not to be based upon novels or ideas conjured up by an eight-year-old boy. What I want to do is I want to go to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says heaven is like. But honestly, the Bible is somewhat silent about what heaven is. For me, I have wandered in my mind and wandered in my stance about heaven. And most of you know my take on heaven and eschatological things, things that happen after this world, I've had a pretty easy stance on this. And that's just a punt. You see, honestly, I don't know what heaven is like. The Bible doesn't give us a clear understanding of what heaven is going to be like. And if anybody will tell me what heaven is like and when we're going to go there, I'm pretty skeptical of them. Because we don't really know a lot about heaven. And while I want to say it's not important, it doesn't matter. I had a conversation several weeks ago that made me change my stance a little bit on why it is important to talk about what heaven is and what heaven isn't. I only know two things about heaven. And if you listened several weeks ago on a Sunday morning class... Uh, I shared these two with you, and I began milling them around in my mind and thinking more about them. But there's two things that I know about heaven, and these are things that I didn't come up on my own. These are things that I came up with because I've read the Bible just like you have. Here's the first thing that we know about heaven. And this is just going to blow your mind. I know it's deep, and it's just overwhelming. You probably should sit down. What you are. Okay, are you ready for this? Here we go. God is there. That's the first thing I know about heaven. God is there. I don't know if any of you remember uh, early on in Acts, Acts chapter 7, there's the stoning of Stephen. And if you ask any good Christian about what do we know about the stoning of Stephen, if I can say that without slurring my words, everybody would tell you, well, the stoning of Stephen, Stephen is about Saul being there, who later was named Paul. He was there when they laid the... But that's not really what I want to talk about. Listen to this. Okay, Stephen has this most masterful sermon that he, in which he indicts all the Jews for being responsible for the death of Jesus. Like, God sent His Son and you killed Him. And by the time he gets done with his sermon... It's not an invitation song. Instead, everybody comes running up, they hold their ears, and they scream. So they drag him out to the city, and they begin to stone him. 
But listen to this. This is what Stephen says. He's about to die. He looks up, and in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, it says this. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Just before he died, he has a vision of heaven, and who does he see? Jesus and God. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't go on about, wow, that crystal sea is just brilliant. He doesn't talk about the streets paved with gold. What is really, really important and what he notices about the vision of heaven as he's dying is that God and his son Jesus are there. What we know about heaven, God is there. Here's the second thing that we know about heaven. Heaven is where everyone gathers to praise God. I don't know about you, but for some of you, that may make you a little uncomfortable. But first, you want to ask, how did you arrive at this information? Well, I'm just borrowing from Revelation chapter 4 which we want to be very cautious when we look at Revelation because it was written in a prophetic way and a lot of it is figurative. But here's one thing that we read from Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, that says this. After they talk about this crazy beast and the eyes and the wings and the arms, but, and then it says this right after it says that, day and night... They never stop saying, they, these wild, crazy, masculine beasts, right? Along with the elders and all the people there, it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well, for some of you, you think, I don't don't know about this. I mean, just the beast itself and the description is a little scary. What does that really mean? Is that what heaven is like? And, And I don't really like singing. And I don't really like sitting. This can't really be my idea of what heaven is like. But let's go back to the first thing we know. What's the first thing we know about heaven? God is there. Okay, so I think most of you know, if, if there's anything you know about me, besides the fact that I'm charming and good-looking and just the most awesome guy in the world, we already know that. Um, but you've disseminated that already. But, but there's another thing that you probably already know about me. I love my family. Like, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a family guy. I love to be with my family. If you ask me, where's my favorite place to be? My answer is, with my family. That's what I really enjoy. I love my beautiful wife, my knuckle-headed 13-year-old son, which, by the way, thank you for all the prayers that you've offered on behalf of him. Please don't stop. We need more of them. My two daughters, I love them. Where do I want to be? Wherever they are. So I was a little distraught when after years and years and years of begging 
and pestering and nagging. Finally, my wife convinced me last summer, hey, we've got to go on a family vacation. And I'm like, really? And she says, as many famous athletes have said, I'm going to Disney World. (laughs) And I said, oh, really? She says, yes. So we began saving and planning and preparing and getting ready for this rather large trip to go to Florida to see the big mouse and all his friends. In fact, we had some homework to do. We had to study by watching Disney movies so our kids would be familiar with all the princesses that they were going to see while we were in Florida, right? And, And it really bothered me. I didn't want to go to Disney. I don't have anything in particular against Disney, Alec, okay? Alec's been giving me a hard time. He loves Disney and Christmas, two things I can do without. But nonetheless, he says, Disney is the greatest place on earth. And I, my response is, do you know where the greatest place on earth is? Wherever my family is. I don't have to go to Florida to be in my favorite place. If my family is in Hobbs, that's my favorite place. So, Jennifer has just recently um, been after me a bit. She's uh, made a few remarks and even said, well, you must have a direct line with God because we have, we have made our way out of Disney. Uh, Wyatt hurt himself. For those of you who didn't know, he had surgery on Friday in Chuck's. We don't get to go to Disney after all. So I got out of that one, at least for a little bit. But Disney wasn't my favorite place because all I wanted to be is with my family. And I don't have to go there to enjoy it. Now, I understand that being a part of a family means you do other things that people enjoy, so we're headed there sometime later in the year. But if you're a Christian... And someone who loves, loves, loves God. You want to go where He is. And it doesn't matter what you think you will like or won't like about heaven. If God is there, that's where we want to be, right? That's where we want to be. And it doesn't matter about all these ideas we've conjured up about what heaven is going to be like and if they're going to have a buffet there and they're going to have never-ending ice cream and they're going to have a replay of the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl over and over and over again. That can't be true because it hasn't happened in a while. But if that is where God is, that's where I want to be. All of this culminated in a conversation I had several weeks ago. I was uh, visiting at the hospital, and while I was there with a patient, a a nurse came in and she was asking questions uh, to the patient, one of our members here, a lot of different questions, uh, and, and we somehow got on the topic of going to church. And so I asked, do you go to church? And she says, she says, no, I don't have to, and the Bible says so. And I said, okay, where, where do you read that? And she didn't know where, but it was from Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. It says, 
where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. Okay, and so she had taken that, and this is the reason why I don't like verses. It wasn't until the 1400s, one and a half millennia after the Bible was written, that somebody came in and says, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we divided all these big, long books and letters into chapters, and then several hundred years later, they said, it's nice that we have chapters, but what if we had verses? Then we could even look a little closer. Well, that's great when you're trying to find something, because I can say John 3, 16, and you're like, ah, I know exactly where that is. But in this case, she had taken one verse and deduced from it that, hey, I don't have to go to church. All I have to do is hang out with somebody else, and I'm good. And I said, so you do that? She says, yeah. Me and my son, we get up sometimes on Sunday mornings, and we talk about God. I said, oh, that's great. How old's your son? He's two. Okay. Probably not real deep. Probably not theological. But she had decided, and this was the main, this is what really got me. This is what she said. She says, she says, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. Now, okay, so here's where we really have an issue. The real issue is not about her misconception about church but rather her misunderstanding of heaven. You see, for her, heaven was a place where she wanted to be, where she could get things that she wanted, and everything would be great. And so that's what Christianity had been reduced to her. Church was nothing more than a ticket to be punched so she could get to go somewhere later on. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes for a pretty dysfunctional relationship if all you want out of some person is what they're going to give you at the end of your life. Well, I don't really like that person, but I might as well stay married to them. And the analogy I gave several Sundays ago was, hey, if I can hang on for 32 more years, Jennifer and I will celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And you know when you have those wedding anniversaries that people give you really cool gifts. And you get to stand up and talk about how you've been married to this person for 50 years. And people clap and cheer. If any of you are holding on, if you are staying in a relationship because you want some gifts at the 50th wedding anniversary, your marriage is messed up. How many of you are like, I'm going to hang on so I can get some gifts in another 30 years? You're in a relationship with someone, you live with someone, you love someone, you care for someone. It's not about what you're going to get at the end. And yet for some reason this woman had decided that really the only thing there was about church was it was going to get her to what she wanted at the end. And here's the irony of it. If heaven is really about God, and He's there, and you're going to worship Him, if that's what heaven's about, 
why would you be excited about going there if you weren't doing it now? I'm not trying to yell at you. I just want you guys to know, heaven is going to be awesome. And this is a spoiler, because as I was planning for this sermon, this is really only part one. And I finally decided I would be nice to you guys and says this cannot be one long sermon because you will never get out of here in the vertical position. So we're going to break this into part two. So I'm going to give you a little teaser, but I want you to know something. Heaven is here. You need to understand this. Heaven is here. The work of God was completed at Calvary. We're not waiting for something else. We are living in heaven. Jesus came and He said, The kingdom starts now. Heaven is right now. Because heaven is not about clouds and fluffy things and wings. It's about being in the presence of God. And when Jesus came, He says, I am here. And when He left, He says, I'm leaving my spirit with you. And thus, the kingdom has begun. Folks, we have an opportunity to do something really, really special. We get to show heaven to people on earth. And I'll close with this. If what I'm saying is true, then I have just spent the last three days in heaven. It wasn't a big deal. It was a knee injury. But even at that, there's something about watching your son getting wheeled away in a hospital bed as he's about to go into surgery. In fact, I I didn't tell anyone this uh, until now. My wife didn't even know about this. But I'm usually the very non-anxious person. I know I get excited and scream sometimes. But I'm really, I don't get anxious too much about things. I don't get worried or bothered about things too much. But... Uh, the night before the surgery, I had an awful dream. I had an awful dream that Wyatt had a blood clot and it became very disastrous for us. And so I woke up that morning and I was just, I was grieved and I was worried about, oh no, what, what if something really bad happened to my son? And as, as the, the day progressed and, and um, we found ourselves going to the hospital that morning, uh, we had one of our elders came over the night before and he visited with us, he and his beautiful wife, and they prayed with us. And we got up that morning and we headed in there. And I don't know if she's in here or not. She may be working. And if she finds out I said this, I'll probably get in big trouble. But I don't know that there is a greater person that I would want to have watching over my son than Kristen McCool. And there is a, I mean, technically she's in the medical field, but I would argue that she may be one of the best ministers that we have around. And the way that she showed love and kindness, uh, the way that the staff dealt with us while we were in the waiting room, while we went into the holding room, while we went into the recovery room, and the way that we were loved and people cared for us, and we went out into the waiting room 
and the whole Blackman clan were there with coloring books and games, and we laughed and played the whole time. Uh, and some of the McCools were there with us, and people visit us and, and brought us um, food over and over again. I have gained more weight than I should ever gain in a three-day period. And you know what? I saw heaven this weekend. I saw it in the cards and in the phone calls, in the hugs, in the reassurance, in the prayers that were lifted up. I want you to know that if you're waiting for heaven, stop waiting. Heaven came down when Jesus died on the cross. And we can show heaven to people who are experiencing hell on earth. There are people who are broken, who are lost, who are hurting, and you are all angels, you are messengers of the gospel that says heaven is here and God is present. If you're in that situation right now, and you're wondering, can I make this any longer? God, where are you? Let me reassure you, God is here and He's present. And when you walk out of this building, He's there too. And you know when He's going to show up at Walmart? I figured this out. God shows up at Walmart when a Christian walks in the door. When a follower of Jesus is willing to walk into a public place and talk about who Jesus is and show His love, heaven enters in. This week, show heaven to somebody who needs it. That's what we're called to do. In a couple weeks, we're going to finish up on part two of what are you waiting for, and I hope you are just anxious about that. But I hope you're equally anxious about a God who is coming for us. Until He does, may we allow heaven here on earth. If there's any way we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.